back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. It's episode 115, according to my records. I may be a little bit off there. I'm your host, Bruce, and I'm joined online once again by Lux. Lux, how are you now? I am doing just fine. Good, my man. So it's been a while. It's been like six weeks since yep. we recorded our last episode. Uh, yep. How have you been? You've been good? Yeah, I've been I just in the Helped my uncle move out of the house that he was in and doing things around the LGS. Nice, nice. Now, it was pre-release weekend. Did you pre-release, my man? And I did, and yeah, thanks to a certain someone, I wrecked big time. I only went one and two. You went one and two? Well, I mean, okay, that's respectable. I mean, obviously, I'm sure you would have liked to have done better. Okay, so yep. what was who, who was the certain someone that derailed you my friend and shieldred i mean seriously like i was not expecting her shieldred and yeah that one that one's the house um she's really really good <laughs> um and like during that first match when i saw her and they my opponent tapped in they you know, played her and they, she had the field i almost cried oh man i'm sorry yeah she's well, i've been playing on arena i didn't get to re- i didn't get to pre-release in paper but uh, I have been playing on Arena, and whenever I see Shieldred, uh, my definitely I take notice because she's a house. Like from a mana cost standpoint, she's not too bad. Like she's like she's like Siege Rhino mana. But then you're also looking at you know just taking a whooping if you can't kill her quick. So yeah, I can see how unlimited um, she would be terrific, absolutely terrific. Oh my goodness! Well. I mean, the good news is, I think there's a new set coming out in November. I think is that when Brothers War comes out. I believe so. Yeah, I have a feeling they're sneaking in an extra standard legal set going forward. Do you get that sense? Like, so last year they yeah, did. I do. Last year they stuck the two Midnight Hunt and then uh, and uh, Crimson Vow in the in the autumn. And then we got Kamigawa and then Nukapena. And normally they'd squeeze a fifth. Then we would have a spot to squeeze in a fifth um, standard legal set in the summertime. And they didn't. And they put uh, Commander Legends 2. And they put Modern, sorry, Double Masters 2022 in that summer slot, which was absurd because it was like way too much product. And I have a feeling if they want to sneak in a fifth set, they could probably do it. Or, or I guess, or maybe, or maybe they're saving that summer slot for, um, for like, like a master slot or a like a promotional slot or something like that. So, anyway, I don't know, but I'm not sure. I'm a huge fan of having the like the back to back autumn sets, like September yeah. into November. I guess, I mean, it makes sense from a Christmas standpoint. Like, you get going to Christmas and you can buy the new hot thing for that guy who loves magic in your life. But I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of huge fan of it. But anyway, it seems to be what they're doing now. So a couple of months, you get to do it again. Yeah, but like how much you bet that like that you no know, one set that was spoiled for you know, next year, March of the Machine. How much you willing to bet that that's probably gonna be way bigger than War of the Spark? Um I see I, I think it's gonna be a lot less conclusive. So with War of the Spark, we got the end of 
the Nicol Bolas arc where he's like the big baddie and they banish him to some prison rock with with which which strikes me as being a very lame ending to a very cool story. I don't know how you feel about that, but like that feels like a ve- that feels like Batman locking the Joker up at Arkham Asylum every time. That's what it feels like. Yep. And we know darn well that Nicol Bolas is going to break out of that rock and we're going to see him before long. It feels like a very big cop out. Like to to and they, go ahead. And like odds are, you no. Know, they what I'm thinking is how much I'm bet that Elish Norn knows about what happened to Nicol Bolas, and she has a plan to deal with that. You may be right. I don't. I don't know. But I'm going to bet Nicol Bolas is going to get out. And so we went through how many? What three years? Two and a half years of that arc, that story arc, to get to War of the Spark. And have that big showdown on Ravnica and have it all go down and have him get banished like that is, seems lame. Now, what are you going to do with the Phyrexians? Because you don't have one main head honcho here. You've got the five Praetors who are nominally in charge of their factions. What is going I, I don't know how you, like, other than you scatter them across the, across the multiverse, yeah. which I don't and think of course is... Like, as Dominaria united and approved that there's just no getting rid of them because Dominaria thought that they were rid of the Phyrexians for good. And yet, here they are, like, a lot of their people that they trust and they fight with, fight alongside, here they are turning out to be Phyrexians. Yup, pretty much. So, anyway, we'll get into all that later in the show, but, uh, yeah. Suffice to say, I'm not sure uh, how it's all going to play out. And so, to have the Brothers War be bigger, I don't know. It's hard to top the two year, two and a half years of, you know, culminating story that we had with War of the Spark, but I feel like the Phyrexians have a lot more traction than uh, the Nicol Bolas has um, because of the fact that they've been so iconic as the villain for so long now. So anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit later, I'm sure. All right, uh, let's get a little a little housekeeping here before we get on with the show. So, folks. We're going to be back now, and uh, Lux and I are going to be trying to make sure we get out each and every week to record, uh, because we took our, vac- our summer vacation break. Um, we've done it the last couple of years in a row now, so it uh, shouldn't come as a huge surprise if you like our show. But uh, you can always find our show uh, and back episodes on thelotuscouncil.com. They are our home. They've been gracious enough to allow us to uh, post the show on their website for free, and has been uh, really cool to be involved with them. Uh, and the, and the, the community is really terrific in the standpoint. There's lots of great people who love to play Magic the Gathering, who love to play EDH in particular. And so if you have deck ideas or you want to, uh, you know, bang ideas around for a new deck, particularly now that Dominaria United is going to be able to be bought uh, and, and later this week, uh, you might be looking to build a new commander deck or spruce one of your older ones up with some new cards and new tech. So uh, it's a great resource for, uh, and it's free of charge. It doesn't cost you anything to come and be a part of the community. So come on into the, the lowestcouncil.com. Come and join their Discord. It's right in our show notes. So you can just join us there. And Lux and I are there. I, I check in every day and read out what's going on. And uh, some days there's more than other days. But that doesn't mean that it's not a great resource for you to, to check out. So come on in. Come and see for yourself. And come be part of the lotuscouncil.com. All right. <clears throat> we have three, uh, three segments tonight there, Lux. We have segment one, we have a garbage or great. I think we have a spicy one. 
Maybe we have a spicy Ooh. one. Uh, then we've got some uh, some previews, or I guess they're not previews now. I guess they're cards from Dominary United that we I thought we should talk about because we haven't talked about any of the cards from Dominary United yet. We're probably way behind the curve compared to uh, other podcasts and other content creators. But, you know, we thought we'd jump in here better late than never. And then I brewed up a deck that I think is pretty interesting. Uh, I'll talk about why I think it's cool, but we're using Erg. Uh, who is the Lands Matters commander from uh, Dominary United. Uh, Erg, Spawn of Turg, which is hilarious, but anyway. All right, but let's get on with the show. Here we go. Segment one locks garbage or great. Tonight, we have the one, the only, Olivia Voldaren. So Olivia, who's from oh. Innistrad. So she's from two, the original Innistrad block, two black red for a 3-3 legendary creature vampire. She has flying, and then for one in a red, Olivia Vodaran deals one damage to another target creature. That creature becomes a vampire in addition to its other types. Put a plus one plus one counter on Olivia Vodaran. And then three black black, gain control of target vampire for as long as you control Olivia Vodaran. Now, my man, do we think Olivia is garbage, or do we think Olivia is great? I mean, honestly, like if you said she was garbage, you would have to like you would need psychotherapy. Yes, I agree with you. I think she's excellent. But you know what's funny? I was looking her up on EDH Rec, and she's only got six hundred decks. What are people doing? I don't know. I here's what I suspect. I don't actually know. I suspect that two things have happened. One. The existence of Edgar Markov, uh, the, the the Mardu colored one, has essentially eliminated the need to have any other color of vampire commander, because uh, Edgar is so dominant that uh, you don't really need to play her. Like you don't need so. Appears in six hundred and sorry six thousand one hundred twenty two decks. Uh, and she appears in almost 40% of Edgar Markov decks. So, very clearly, she's a, she's a component to lots of decks, but she's not the commander to them. The other piece here, and I think is tied again to Edgar and other uh, vampire commanders, is that she's been power crept. Um, so this is like playing, like, so Innistrad was 2012, right? So that's that's ten years ago now. Commander has evolved so much that she no longer cuts the mustard when it comes to having a commander. So I think she's cool. I think Olivia is very very cool. And if you're playing a vampire tribal deck, you want Olivia Voldaren in your list because she's good. She's going to do like I'm like looking at like the top commanders. That player are Edgar Markov, Olivia Crimson Bride. Uh, there's Zagras, Thief of Heartbeats, which I don't even know why you're building that one. But anyway, Olivia, the other Olivia, Olivia is mobilized for war is playing her. Strephon, which is the the blood counter uh, one that matters. Anjay made a dishonor. Like all uh, Evelyn, all these other commanders are playing her and making good use of her abilities. Um, so I think she's been power crept out by a lot of these newer uh, iterations of vampires. And 
So consequently, I think she, well, that, while this card is awesome and is going to and gets played lots, I don't think it's going to get played as the commander the way it once was, because there are better options. So she's great. She's a great card, but I think she's now playing into she's now under the role as a as a as a as a bench player rather than the lead singer for your deck. Any other thoughts on her there, Lux? I just think she's just cool, right? Like you just like there's no way to about it. You're just gonna steal your opponent's stuff. And like add in like they're making it easier for us to have ridiculous quantities of mana with things like treasure tokens that get made all the time with all sorts of silly things, meaning you have potentially the mana to activate her and use her multiple times in a turn if you can do it. And that sounds amazing. So I think like the, the, the world in which this Olivia now exists is a lot better than it was back in, 20, in 2012 when Red Black struggled for ramp and now you've got buckets of mana and buckets of rocks and buckets of treasures to make Olivia do cool things. So I think she's great. Lux, final word? Garbage? Great. What do you think? Lux! Uh-oh. Lux, I can't hear you. Where'd you go? Oh no. Oh no, Lux, don't go away. Uh oh. Oh, Lux, are you back? Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you back. Good. I don't know what happened there. All right. Anyway, yeah. final word garbage or great? Oh, she is just great. Yeah, there we go. So, folks, if you have an Olivia, go and find her. Dig her out of your box. Put her in a deck. You'll be happy. All right. You all set for uh, moving on to uh, our Dominary yep. United cards. All right. So, let's start. Let's, let's alternate back and forth. Do you want to read this first one, or do you think or you want me to do it? And I can do it. You do it, because this one makes me sad. Okay. <coughs> Pull them up. Yeah. Hey, here we have a Johnny Sleeper Agent for one, a green, a hybrid Phyrexian, and a white. You get a legendary Planeswalker Johnny with four and loyalty counters. And the first time ever, we have it on him, meaning that the hybrid Phyrexian can be paid with either white and green or two life. If life is paid, this Planeswalker enters with two fewer loyalty counters. Plus one, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature or planeswalker card, put it in your hand. Otherwise, you may put it on the bottom of your library. And minus three, distribute three plus one plus one counters among and up to three target creatures. They gain vigilance until end of turn. Then minus six, you get an emblem with whenever you cast a creature or planeswalker spell, target opponent gets two poison counters. Uh, okay. So... Where do we start with this one, Lux? Let's start. I let, don't know. Let's start with the lore. 
This makes me sad. This is one of my favorite planeswalkers, bar none. And they've gone and they've gone and done this completed nonsense to him. Which makes me sad. Yep. That just feels like they've done Johnny a disservice. And this will be the third time in the last, let's call it four or five sets, where they've done this to a beloved character. Well, they did it with Odric in whichever in the Strahd set it was last autumn. And then they did it to Tamiya, where they completed her, which is the first time we saw this mechanic. And now they did it to a Johnny. And those three beloved characters that they have gone and essentially ruined now. Because, let's be real, you and I are both, like, are we of the opinion that a Johnny as a Phyrexian is going to exist for much longer once the story arc with the Phyrexians is over? I mean, honestly, like, I seriously don't see the Coalition allowing him to live. No, exactly. So, and unless he can escape by planes walking away, but I am, like, firmly convinced that they're not going to let the, like, like rogue elements of the Phyrexians just scatter to the winds and pop up elsewhere in the storyline. Like, that's, that is not a long-term storytelling mechanic that makes a lot of sense, right? So... Like, the Phyrexians are going to continue to exist long after this threat on Dominaria. But the agents like Ajani and Tamio are going to be likely to be removed from, the, from our pantheon of Planeswalkers. And so this sort of, like, means the beginning of the end for Ajani, really. Hmm. In my, at least that's how I read it. And that makes me sad, because I really enjoy Ajani. Now, his first two abilities are very much a Johnny abilities. Like, these are things that a Johnny cards have done before. Right? They're not new. They're not, ex they're not revolutionary, but they're very typical. That ultimate, though? Come on. Okay. No one likes poison counters. And now you could just be ticking along in... in your green white creature heavy deck you ultimate you're a johnny and now you can now you can legitimately like poison someone out right out of the game that feels like a terrible choice as a mechanic <laughs> like, do, do you disagree like that feels dirty i don't like it even a little bit. Did your mic go again there, my man? Oh, there it is. Okay, you're still there. Anyway, yeah. I... Yeah, like, like, but from someone that has infect in their deck, yeah, the poison counters are just nasty. No one likes them. Like, no one enjoys it. Particularly if you're playing at a casual table, no one's, like, wishing that they had 25% they had of their life total, and that was it. Oh, yeah, it'd be cool if I start at 10 and the rest of you start at 40 today. That sounds like fun, fair game magic. That's what poison counters do. Like, bleh. Not a fan. So, um, here's the other thing. And I was listening to a few podcasts talk about this and the design mechanic of com this completed mechanic. And it feels pretty weak sauce. Like, as far as the mechanic goes. Would it not make far more sense... That if, if if a Johnny was paid for, like, 
essentially just having it enter with fewer loyalty counters on it seems like a bit of a cop out. What about this? What if there was a fourth ability on a on a Johnny that you could only get if you paid full fare for it, not the Phyrexian mana? Um, or like if you had if you paid the Phyrexian mana, you got one one ability instead of instead of the other one. Like just more variability than just fewer loyalties, loyalty counters. Because I'm kind of the opinion that. It doesn't make sense to rob a Johnny of his loyalty counters because shouldn't, technically speaking, the Phyrexians make him more powerful? That's kind of what they're doing, right? They're looking to perfect whatever it is they're 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 corrupting, and wouldn't that 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 heightened blend of of metal and humanoid result in a superior superior you know character? And so this completed seems to rob us of that. Where I think what it should do, it should give, they should be giving us options for what he can actually do. So anyway, this is my beef with this card, just generally. Now let's talk about him in Commander. Do we think Johnny's going to see a lot of play in Commander? And like, he might, and like there are people that like that kind of thing. For sure, I think. As as it, like I think there are many people who are going to enjoy playing a Johnny. Um, I don't think he's going to warp any one deck and make it be awesome all of a sudden. Um, I think he's going to be very relevant uh, in creature heavy decks that are looking to cast creatures and put plus one plus one counters on stuff. But I'm not sure I'm that worried about a Johnny going forward uh, as a Planeswalker because. In in many commander games, planeswalkers get attack, get attacked regularly and killed out of sport. So I'm really not worried about it, Johnny. Long term, I don't think he revolutionizes a strategy, um, but uh, for sure there'll be some number of green white decks that are going to want to play him <coughs> and make good use of him. Right? Yeah. So he's okay. Um, now, I just want to make a point there, audience. We're not going to talk about the other Planeswalkers that are in this set uh, either beyond this beyond this first one. The rest of the cards we're talking about today are creatures or artifacts or other stuff. Um, if only because they all suffer from the same problem that all Planeswalkers do. They tend to get attacked with regularity. They very rarely seem to last too long on the table. Uh, if you are playing them in a Traxa Super Friends deck, well, good for you. Um, but, I mean, they're they're fine. And you can certainly run them, but they're not usually the sort of game warping things that you might experience if you were to play them in, you know, in modern or in standard, right? So, like, I'm just thinking, like, Liliana the Veil. Liliana of the Veil in modern, when she was at her best in in modern Jund, was far more powerful than Liliana of the Veil in Commander ever was, right? <laughs> So, yep. anyway. All right, up next, we have Joda the Unifier. And this one is kind of spicy. So, we have Joda the Unifier. So, for white, blue, black, red, green, legendary creature, human, wizard, 5-5. Five, five. Legendary creatures you control get plus X plus X, where X is the number of legendary creatures you control. Whenever you cast a legendary spell from your hand, exile cards at the top of your library until you exile a legendary non-land card with lesser mana value. 
You may cast that card without paying his mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Um, so this has got essentially legendary cascade and is a huge old pump spell for all your legendary tribal matter stuff. So like coat of arms or legendary legendary things. Um this guy's cool. Right, right? Like this guy's this guy's a fun card, right? Anything, Lux? Are you building a Joda deck now? <clears throat> I might. I'm just gonna have to see if I'm able to get him. Oh, I mean, I'm sure you can. Like he's at eight bucks right now, and he's gonna go down. Um, and so, like audience, like I mean, some of the automatic inclusions that come to mind here. You're playing both Sisses, uh, Captain Sisse. You're playing, um, you know, a whole bunch of other like inexpensive uh, legendary stuff. But it also counts legendary enchantments, legendary artifacts. So you can play things like, um, oh, what's a legendary artifact? Uh, is this one? Yeah, you can play Helm of the Host. You can get, what else is a You can get Mox Amber. It's a legendary artifact. Um, you can play, if you want free things, you play Rograk, um, the, the card with Commander is a zero mana kobold. You can play all sorts of cheap. You can play, um, oh, the monkey, Ragavan. You can play, like, there's lots of cheap and inexpensive drops you can play. You can play Planeswalkers, and you can do lots of powerful things to get all these cards into onto the battlefield, get make maximum effect of Joda's ability, pump it up your table, um and doing doing fun cool stuff and then the the cascade is seems like a lot of fun too uh you could really really build your deck to do some broken things um yeah so i'm a I'm, i like jonah i think he's gonna be very cool um do i know how many decks are gonna play him i don't know i think he's gonna be pretty neat um i think you're if you're gonna build Joda, you're going to probably spend a lot more money than you would otherwise, because all those legendary things tend to be expensive. Right, Lux? Like, yeah. think about it. Your mana base alone is going to be, you know, more more expensive than many to, to, to build, because you're building with Triomes and, and uh, Shocklands. If you're building it to be any sort of not all tap lands, um, but, you know, you're also, you know, looking at playing a lot of legendary things, which many of them are expensive. If you want to play with, you know, if you want to play with bad ones, feel free. Like, play with a whole bunch of the uncommon ones with Joda and see if you can make them good. But I have a feeling you're gonna, people are going to play this with more of the more expensive ones. So, like, they're going to want to play with a Ragavan. Ragavan being a $90 card. Uh, they're going to want to play with, you know, who knows what else. But they're going to play with a lot of you know, cards that are, tend to be on the more expensive side. Just be watch. Just watch out for the price of your deck, uh, to make sure that you have the money set aside or the cards already in hand. If you're looking to build Joda, that's my uh, my my two thoughts there. Up next, what do we have here? We have Karn Silex. Go ahead, Lux, read it for us. And for three in uh, generic, you get legendary artifact, which happens to be a mythic. Karn Silex enters the battlefield tapped. Players can't pay life to cast spells or to activate abilities that aren't mana abilities. And X, tap. 
Exile card sucks. Destroy each non-land permanent with many values or less. Activate only as a sorcery. Right. Okay. So this one, I I'm I'm kind of mixed on it, um, <laughs> to say the least. I'm kind of feel conflicted. Lux, what do you think on on Karn Sonics here? Do you think this card is going to be something you're going to want to put in decks? And probably not, because like, it's mainly meant for like, to go against like Phyrexian and the decks. And odds are, I don't really see too many of those floating out there for for it to be effective. Well, I mean, okay, so not entirely. But my problem is, it comes down and does nothing the first turn it comes down. It does stone nothing. Um, but that line, players can't pay life to cast spells or to activate abilities that aren't mana, mana abilities. I think that's actually pretty relevant if you're playing in metas where you like, or in a, or in a play group where you have lots of people who are playing ad nauseum. So now they can't pay pay life to keep drawing cards. They can't necropotence. Uh, they can't use um, bulls of citadel to cast things off the top of their deck, um, and all these things that people use to burn through and cast a pile of things. Um, while using up their life points to cast spells. So if you're playing in a meta where people are going to do that, Karn Silex is a pretty good job of turning off a lot of those. At least that's my reading of it. I'm, we'll have to go double check with our, with our judge here. But that's my read on that one. That's where I would be looking to use it. Now the X and tap, exile Karn Silex and destroy each non-land permanent with mana value X or less. I mean, that's the Veneral's disc sort of style but you can structure it in such a way where you can be left with um a powerful permanent or two at the end so that you can you know assert dominance over the board so let's say you have a dragon on the board that costs seven mana you can wipe away everything six or less probably clear the board of almost everything else and then you know have be, le be left with your dragon which i mean that's sort of the play pattern i envision but I don't love it because who wants to spend three on Karn Silex and then spend nine more, like six more, it's a nine mana on a board wipe. And it's just destroy. It doesn't exile the, the board. So you could get a lot further with, you know, one of the other board wipes that exist. Uh, Toxic Deluge. I mean, not that it's cheap, but you can do Toxic Deluge. You can play Farewell. I think Farewell sort of hits the same vibe. So unless you can't access white and you need this sort of effect, I think you're probably not playing it because it feels like it's pretty narrow. So I don't know. Maybe people prove me wrong that in six months' time, there'll be tons of people who are playing Karn Silex everywhere and it's going to be you know, one of the disturbing features of the world uh, of Commander. But I, I feel like right now, looking at it, I'm not hugely, not hugely in... Uh, in fa a fan of this particular uh, this particular artifact. Any other thoughts, there, Lux? Lux. Uh oh. Uh oh. There yeah, we go. Hear me? I got you back. All right, any other thoughts on uh, on our dear friend, Karn Silex? And odds are, like, 
I just I think this is going to be one of those wait and see cards. Yeah, I think you're probably I think you're probably as much as I like I I push you every time to like make a decision. Big, come down, have a hot take, Lux. I think you're right. I think there's going to be people who are going to like good people are going to have to experiment with it and discover if it's good or not because it's just not so obvious. Which I kind of like that appeal too, right? It's not it club you over the head with how powerful this card is. It's just it could be a good role player if you're playing players who like to sac- pay life and sack things and that sort of stuff. But it might be a bust, right? And you open it, you put it in your deck and you go, well, that didn't work. So anyway, we'll see. Up next, we have Rith Liberated Primeval. So two red, green, white. So two and Anaya for a 5-5 legendary creature dragon with flying and ward two. Other dragons you control have ward two. <coughs> At the beginning of your end step, if a creature or planeswalker an opponent controls was dealt excess damage this turn, create a 3-3 red, sorry, 4-4 red dragon creature token with flying. So, okay, I like the stats. All right, this is a bit of a stat monster. 5 mana, 5-5 five, five flying with protection. That ward 2 is surprisingly annoying to keep people with target removal off your back. Right? Like, imagine, like, you, you keep up your Doomblade, you keep 2 mana up, and then Lux goes and slams Rith onto the battlefield. You know, you don't have enough to Doomblade it. Even if you really, really want to. So, I kind of like that. As, and then also protects your other dragons. So, Lux, my question for the you. Do you think Rith becomes like a dragon lord in the same way that Tiamat or the Ur-Dragon or even Miram, uh, the one from uh, the Commander Legends Baldur's Gate set that copies tokens of your dragons? Do you think Rith goes into that same discussion, or do you think Rith is uh, a complementary piece and the 99? I mean, odds are they'll probably just go in the 99, because like, other than giving dragon, other dragons, like Ward 2, they, they just don't do and a whole, bunch, whole lot else for dragons. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, the ability to make more dragons is interesting, but I feel like that's more of a um, a, a a standard legal text, um, but I think giving your dragons, you know, war two is certainly relevant and probably wins this a spot. Um, certainly, if you're going to play Palladium Wars or Rith, like you're playing Palladium Wars. Sorry, you're playing Rith. I mean, because Palladium Wars is you know pretty much hot garbage, but Rith is cool. Helps protect itself and other dragons. I mean. But I think you're right. I think it goes ultimately goes in the 99 of an Ur-Dragon or a Tiamat deck or something like that. So, Anything else you want to say about Rith? Nope. Okay. Nope. Moving on, my man. What do you got? Next up, we have Sarah Paragon. For two generic and two white. You get a creature, Angel. 3-4 with flying. Once during each of your turns, you may play a land from your graveyard or cast a permanent spell with mana value three or less from your graveyard. If you do, it gains something that is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, exile it, and you gain two life. Dear, dear Lord, <laughs> this is so much value. So much value. Like, you were worried about white having to play catch up? Here it is. White can play catch up. <laughs> 
Um, and like I think whoever's in the currently operating in the Scryfall, they look at the prices in the for right now. I see the prices; they're kind of absurd. Um, if this is a card that just is just coming into standard and it's like twenty bucks right now, that's kind of ridiculous. Um, okay, I mean this is just a, this is just a cool card. This is like this is like legitimately great. Um, because I mean, if Luris Luris is already a good card, right? And like this yep. is better. This is this provides you with a little bit more than what Luris gives you. Because Luris like Luris is pretty awesome and all. But now you get you you can get a pull a land out of your out of your graveyard if you need to pull land. You can go cast something of that's great. Like so let's say you know you ha- you cast a Rex Age earlier in the game. And you really got to get it back to kill that nasty enchantment on the battlefield over there. Well, Sarah Paragon's your answer. You're gonna get to resolve. You get a chance to cast your Rex Sage, you know, from your, you know, out of your graveyard, and to just, you know, wreck people. So, um, in addition to the things that we had, like from Baldur's Gate, which is like Ogma, Ogma Archivist, which I think was one, and there was like a. Another one, and then like Ranger Captain of Eos and Mangara and all these the goodies that White has gotten, you're going to get a situation where there's a critical mass of good White cards that allow White to catch up and to maybe even pass by the resources accrued by other decks that you can't automatically say that White is by far the worst color. I think now we should start talking, if we're talking about worst colors, we're talking about worst archetypes, and no longer the worst color. Because I think Sarah, Sarah Paragon, just helps White catch up that much further. I still think Lux, dude, would you agree with me that like blue and green and black are a little bit ahead, but not much, are they? Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah. Man, I want this card, but I don't want to pay. Eight, I don't want to pay twenty bucks for it, and that's like twenty bucks American. Meaning here in Canada it'd be like twenty six to thirty Canadian. Oof. Ouch. Anyway, Sarah Paragon. Thumbs yeah. up. I think card's cool. All right. No, no. Oh, go ahead. And like, like I was just gonna mention like odds are they just like with the you know, Loris. Odds are this card's probably gonna see restrictions or even outright ban in certain I formats. I think so. I think four mana puts it to the point where um, you can't. So the reason it got banned in Vintage is because you could play it as a as a companion, and you could then on turn one, you could play your. Oh, maybe you could. Well, maybe if you had Paragon in your hand and a Black Lotus, you could. Like, but what ended up happening is that Luris people would play the Lotus, cast the Luris, use Luris to replay the the um, the Lotus. And then you'd have, you know, a four or five mana play to follow up your three mana companion, <laughs> which is kind of a gross play certain sequence. Um, it's not quite as degenerate with Sarah Paragon, but it's still pretty broken. So people are going to have to be watching out for that one in some formats. So um, I think in Commander, it's just a good value piece, a good value engine, and uh, people are going to want to play it lots, apparently. So anyway... Okay, Shauna, Purifying Blade. So this is a return of Shauna 
uh, we saw Shauna Ship's legacy. Sorry, Shauna Sisse's legacy uh, in the original Dominaria back in 2018. So Shauna is back. So green, white, blue for a human warrior. She's three three with lifelink, uh, legendary creature. At the beginning of your end step, you may pay X. If you do, draw X cards. X can't be greater than the amount of life you gained this turn. So now we have a Bant life gain deck. Okay. I don't know how I feel about this one, Lux. Am I? Uh, this feels <laughs> underwhelming for me. Yeah, like the odds are, but I'm gonna say that on us to say legacy was better than this one. Oh no, 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 no! There's no comparison. No, 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 no. Oh yeah. Shona's <laughs> legacy is very good in a deck that's gone wide, because now you can play her, and she's got a huge. She's now she's a huge like just thumper, but you don't want to play you like playing Shauna, like. You wouldn't play the other Shauna as a commander. She goes in a deck as a complementary piece. And just generally speaking, like I'd be very concerned about like, that sort of deck going going far. This one is a very different deck. Um, and I'm looking at the EDH rec sort of deck construction, and it turns into like um, Soul Sisters, because you're playing Soul Warden, you have Essence Warden... Uh, you're playing Heliod, you're playing Drogskull, Reaver, Archangel of Thune, like all these life gain matters cards. And I guess what's hiding in the artifacts among top, the top cards? Aetherflex Reservoir. Yep. <laughs> so, like, this is what this deck wants to do. You're going to build, gain a lot of life, draw a lot of cards, Aetherflex Reservoir somebody into Oblivion. Ooh, Crested Sunmare. I haven't seen that one in a hot minute. Ooh. I actually forgot about that card. Well, there's lots of good pieces. Like, think about just <laughs> Prosperous Innkeeper alone is a yeah. huge, huge get for that deck. Um, you know, Suture Priest is another one. Trelasara, Moondancer. Oh, yeah. Oh, Gala Greeters. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, Gala yeah, Greeters is fun, pretty fun. fun card. I mean, the deck seems pretty neat. And of course, you're playing like uh, Trustani, Celestia's voice. Card the deck. The deck could be fun. Don't get me wrong. Um, I just you know, it doesn't feel like it's moving into a new space that we haven't seen already. I mean, now it's just a Bant, a three colored deck that does this instead of a instead of a two colored deck. But sure, I mean, go for it. <laughs> All right. Next, we have Shoulder of the Apocalypse. Holy jumping! All right. Two black black legendary <coughs> creature Phyrexian Praetor. Four five with Death Touch. Because that's what it needed. Death Touch. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. And whenever an opponent draws a card, they lose two life. Oh man. Okay. Lux. Let's imagine we're playing in a pod and you resolve Shouldred. What are the chances you're getting to untap with it by the time your next turn rolls around? Wait. Odds are they she's a kill on sight card. Just make you know, hands down kill on sight. I think you're right, my friend. I think you're right. So if only because the abilities are obnoxious. But here's the real problem there, folks. Her abilities 
um, those whenever you draw a card, you gain two life, is like an automatic combo with Lich's Mastery. So Lich's Mastery is a card that was from Dominaria. I'm gonna want to pull it up here so I get it right. Lich's Mastery. Yeah, so I'm gonna pull it up here so I have a, how we have a look at it. But Lich's Mastery essentially says, here it is. Uh, one of the lines of text on it is, whenever you gain life, draw that many cards. So it says on Shieldred, whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. Lich's Mastery looks at it, triggers, and goes, well, I've drawn, I've drawn, I've gained life. I'm going to draw cards now. And it doesn't stop. So you're going to draw your deck out. And so there's a couple of things you can do with that. Um, so you can do something where every time you gain life, you do damage to your opponents. So Marauding Blight Priest is the one that comes to mind. Um, you could do that. Uh, you could do something as simple as Aetherfrax Reservoir, if you wanted to do that. Um, but you're going to kill your opponents with the life gain. And then the other one is where you make them draw cards and die. Like, you can do that too. You make them draw a pile of cards, and they're going to die a horrible screaming death. So, I mean, combination of those two abilities alone, I think, make this card very formidable and something that needs to be killed ASAP. So, you know what card, in my mind, Lux, has never been more valuable? Swiftfoot Boots and Lightning Greaves. Those two cards with Shouldred are your, like, your, if you're playing a deck and you know you have a Shouldred, let's say you have it in hand, or you know you have a Tutor and you go and get it, you don't go and get it until you make sure you have the protection for it, or else you're going to find yourself in sorry, sorry shape with a dead Shouldred. So, cool. Like, the, the card's very, very good. I know people were kind of... I think people were kind of down on it initially, weren't they? Were people kind of unimpressed with Shouldred? Do you have any people in your store talking about, like, people not being that excited about, about Shouldred? <laughs> or is everyone pretty much jazzed? I... They, honestly, they, when she was first revealed, nobody had any hope for her. That seems crazy, because I think the card is so good. I mean, do I think it's the best of the Praetors that we've seen so far? No. I think the best of the Praetors we've seen is... Um, I still think it's Gingitaxius, followed by Vorinclax. But then I think Shoulders third. And like it's pretty close on their heels, I think. So, anyway... Good stuff. Shouldred is back and she is looking mean. And she's a lot easier to cast too than the old Shouldred, which was far more expensive. I think it was the old Shouldred was like eight. And it's just too much. Other Shouldred. I want to see the old Shouldred. The Whispering one is like eight mana, I think. Uh, Shouldred Whispering one is nine. Sorry, seven mana or six six with like with that. So anyway. I think I think shoulders good. All right, I'm next. Silverback Elder Lux, go for it. For two generic and three green, you get a creature ape shaman with in like you know, five seven. Whenever you cast a creature spell, choose one. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a land card from among them 
on the battlefield and tap and put the rest on the bottom of your library in running order. Yeah, you gain four life. So <laughs> this card is nuts. Alright, I know like this card A, yeah. it's a really big boy for five mana. Five for a five seven is huge. But then that first line, destroy target artifact or enchantment whenever you cast a creature spell. That's just aura shards on a creature. Like you just get to run another copy of aura shards in your deck. That's just good. Yeah. Like people play aura shards in their green white decks. This is just going to go in every deck that runs green and you're going to play it and you're going to destroy their Ristic Study, their Smothering Tithe, or whatever. And you don't even care. And you're like, yep, collateral damage for me playing a giant green gorilla. And let's be real. Do the other two clauses even matter in my mind? Probably not. But you're going to use them sometimes too. So uh, the card's really good. Go ahead, Lux. Because they, they, who wouldn't enjoy gaining four life every single time you cast a creature? Well, it's going to dig you out of a hole. Like, like let's let's imagine you get caught yeah. behind the eight ball early in the game. This is going to stabilize the battlefield and maybe allow you to dig out and get recoup some life you lost, blow up that enchantment that's holding you back, and you know maybe find that extra mana you need. So I think Silverback Elder is fantastic. I don't think it's going to be the sort of card that wins you the game. But it's the sort of card that you resolve and you're going to be able to use it to help you get yourself caught up. It's like a catch-up card. Like, you remember in, 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 uh, in, in Limited Resources when they talk in Quadrant Theory, like, this card is terrific when, you, like, it's fantastic when you're in the lead. It's excellent at par. And it's still good when you're behind because you can play it and probably, you know, hold it up to block a bunch of things. And maybe use it to, for leverage to kill a bunch of stuff. You can even play politics with it. Don't kill my 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 gorilla because I'm going to use it to blow up his smothering tithe next turn. Oh, okay, sounds good. And so long as people are like you are prepared to you know broker a deal, like you can use Silverback Elder as a very powerful tool on board to blow to to you know basically hold yourself in the game a lot longer because you have this really useful, versatile, and flexible weapon that you can use to blow up and maim all sorts of things. So I'm a big fan. I think this card is excellent. I kind of want one for a bunch of my decks. Lux, any, any other thoughts? Lux, any other thoughts? Oh, oh, Lux, Lux disappeared again. There is Lux. Oh my goodness, the audio. You there? You there, my man? Uh oh. Uh oh. Lux. <sighs> okay. Lux, I'm going to move on to the next one where you sort out the audio stuff, okay? Lux, you there? Oh, dear. We're having serious audio troubles there tonight. 
All right, I'm going to move on to the next one, Lux. Um, I'm going to Soul of Wind Grace. Well, Lux sorts out the audio difficulties, and uh, hopefully he gets that all ironed out here shortly. All right, Soul of Wind Grace. So for one, a black, a red, and a green. You have a 5-4 legendary creature, Cat Avatar. And whenever Soul of Wind Grace enters the battlefield or attacks, you may put a land card from a graveyard onto the battlefield, tapped on under your control. Um, notice it says from a graveyard. So if your opponents had um, had a land in their graveyard that you really wanted, like, I don't know, a Nykthos or a Lotus, a Lotus Veil or something, um, you could absolutely go and get it. And that sounds like fun. <clears throat> so it also has some other abilities here. For So green and then discard a land card, you gain three life. One in a red, discard a land card to draw a card. And two in a black, discard a land card, Soul of Windgrace gains indestructible until end of turn, and you may tap it. Sorry, you must tap it. So, I think this card is really quite interesting. Um, I think it already, you know, it automatically slots into any Jund Land Matters deck. Um, of which, there are enough around, because Lord Windgrace, the Planeswalker from a number of years ago, uh, is going to absolutely need this card to go in the deck. Um, but I, you know, I think that anything that's a Jund-colored deck is going to be interested in this. I think the card itself is is an interesting card. Um, I like the flexibility that it affords you. I like the fact you could take it from any graveyard, take the land from any graveyard. So I think generally as a whole, there's a lot to like here. And a 5-4 body is nothing to sniff at. I think that's a pretty good thing. Uh, pretty good stat line for a 4 mana. But, I mean, admittedly, potentially difficult to cast if you get held off one of your colors. Um, but yeah, I think, I also like the fact the price point is appealing. I will be very honest there, folks. Um, unlike some of the other ones we've talked about where they're very expensive, this one looks like it's starting, you know, less than $4, which means you can probably pick it up at a pretty good price, um, and, and have fun with it making your deck without hurting your wallet too, too badly. So I think there's a lot to be said here for Soul of Windgrace. All right, well, we're still waiting for Lux. Lux is starting up his PC again. A Timeless Lotus. Timeless Lotus is five generic for legendary artifact. And it enters the battlefield tapped. And then for then when you tap it, you add white, blue, black, red, and green mana. So you can make uh, use your Lotus to, to make Wooburg mana. Um, obviously... Where this gets silly is if you can tap and untap this. Um, because if you can tap and untap this, this is, um, you know, ultimately very powerful. So something like the Viz uh, Vizier of Tumbling Sands um, might be, you know, a very obvious place to start. Um, you're talking about... Uh, all sorts of ways in blue to untap your permanence um, and then generate very large amounts of mana. Um, I think that's obviously the the obvious route to go. Staff of Domination. I think a Staff of Domination is probably another easy, easy avenue to take this. 
So you could make a lot of mana. Oh, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're un so with your staff of domination on the battlefield and a vizier of tumbling sands on the battlefield, you could spend one to untap the staff. Uh, so if, if you tap your 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 lotus to makes makes five, you use one to untap your staff of domination, presumably because it's been tapped already. Then you use so you untap your staff three to tap your creature, untap the vizier. You still have one floating. You do it again, and you're gonna have an infinite mana loop there, where you can have mana of any one color or of any color in infinite quantity to do whatever it is you want to do. So, so like there's infinite po infinite mana cost possibilities here with your timeless lotus without much difficulty. Um, also, the the Teferi that was Teferi who slows the sunset. Uh, has been getting a lot of uh, a lot of press with this um, because of the ability to untap a potential uh, artifact, including Timeless Lotus. So yeah, I think that's definitely something you need to take notice of. Uh, the untap and tap shenanigans of this are real, and it makes enough mana that people are going to have to sit up and take notice. So there we have it. The Zuvin Duplomacy. Duplimancy, I don't know how to pronounce that, but anyway. Three and a blue for an enchantment. Whenever you cast a spell that targets only a single artifact or creature you control, create a token copy that's a copy of that artifact or creature, except it's not legendary. Lux, are you back? I gotcha. Good yeah, to have you back. Hey. So we got through uh, Silverback Elder, and then we were on, and we got through Solar Wind Grace and Timeless Lotus. Is there anything you wanted to go back to among any of those cards that you wanted to talk about that uh, that I skipped over, or should we just carry on with Vesuvian Duplomacy? Sounds Let's good. Let's just carry on. So, uh, Vesuvian Duplomacy. Whenever you cast a spell that targets only one single artifact or creature you control, create a token that's a copy of that artifact or creature, except it's not legendary. So now they gave us Orvar on an enchantment. What do you think? <laughs> this is going to be the card. This is going to make people Honestly, really I have annoyed. no idea. If you've ever watched an Orvar deck pop off, yet now they have even more ways to pop off. And uh, that's going to make people really annoyed. But the people who played the Orvar decks are going to be really, really happy about it. So my brother, uh, who has been on the show there, folks, uh, my brother George has an Orvar deck. He's very proud of it. And with his Orvar deck, he is um, going to copy everything and make all the mana in the world and kill you with it. So he wants a Vesuvian Duplomacy, and I don't blame him. All right, number 12, we have Zur. Go for it, Lux. We're going to Zur Eternal Schemer. I'm not sure if it's Zur or Zur. Anyway, go for it. And, and for Esper, which is a white mana and blue. Black, Galician creature, human wizard, one four with flying. Enchantment creatures you control have death touch, life proofing, life link, and hex proof. One and a generic target non aura target. Target non aura enchantment you control becomes a creature in addition to its other types and has base power and base toughness equal to its mana value. Right. So, um, target non aura enchantment you control becomes a creature in addition to its other types. 
That just seems really powerful, doesn't it? So, what yep. would be the best enchantment to get? I want uh, enchantment. I want it in colors white, blue, black, and I want mana cost. Um, mana value equal to or greater than, let's say, five. Can I do this? What is it going to ge generate for me? Oh, that's not how I do it. Okay, let's try that again. Um, so, uh huh. Things like. Oh, wow. This deck could be interesting if you wanted to do something really dumb with it. <laughs> like, how about if we played, like, Caustic Tar? And then it's a six mana enchantment that enchants a land. That's oh, it's an aura. It doesn't work because it's not an aura. Conjured currency. How does that look? That seems dumb. <laughs> Dismiss into dream. What's the biggest we can get? How big can we go? Grave betrayal. That's a fun one. That's a house and a half. Um, hedonist trove. Oh, you turn Kiora, best of sea god, into a 7-7. Seven, seven. So not only is it enough to make 8-8 eight, eight blue kraken Ooh. tokens, you're going to get a 7-7 seven, seven thumper. Huh, look at that. We did it. We broke it. Oh, Legion loyalty? <laughs> oh, Legion loyalty. Remember that one? So, so six white-white. Creatures you control have yep. myriad. So you turn Legion Loyalty into a creature, and you attack with it, and you get copies of it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm laughing for, like, as a giddy, wild, crazy man here. I think that's, I, that's not wasted on me. Um, what else? Yeah, lots of fun things. Anyway. Oh, well. Zero seems interesting. I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. Like, yeah, are you excited for for Zur? I don't think I'm building him. I don't think I don't think I'm building him. And he'll yeah, probably just go probably, the ninety-nine. Probably of the others. Oh, maybe not the other Zur. Other Zur might have more auras going on. Anyway, yeah, seems cool. I like it. All fun stuff. I think these are I think these are great cards. There's lots more cards out there that we didn't get to, folks. We only I only grabbed twelve of the mythics, and you know moved from there. Uh, there's lots of interesting rares and uncommons as well from the set. Um, so we'll try and cover a few more of them as the weeks go on, uh, as we have some ground to make up in the in the next couple of weeks. But uh, that's okay. Uh, lots of fun to be had, and those I think those gives us a pretty good sense for some of the starting point with, uh, with Dominaria United. Lux, are you, are you excited more now that you've had a chance to really sit down and think about some of them? Some of these cards in a in the context of a of a commander game. Honestly, I'll be honest I with you. I, 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 as much as part of me is going to cringe when I get I get my hands on a Shouldered, I kind of want to play a Shouldered and a Lich's Mastery and just do the dirty thing. Does that make me a bad person? Oh, well, yes, I know. We, we know of the two of us, you are clearly the bad person. <laughs> and I'm just the guy who wants to play too much fair magic. But uh, 
I still think in um, the dear old friend Shildred is too good to pass up. So maybe I won't like it, but I want to. I want to try it. Shildred, Lich's Mastery, and Adina. Adina from Strixhaven turns that into an infinite combo and mows your opponents down. All right, let's look at a deck, Lux. How's that sound to you? So here's my thought, Lux. We're playing, the deck tonight is Urg. Urg, the spawn of Turg. Let's have a read. Black, black, green for a star five. Star five. Frog beast, legendary creature. Urg, spawn of Turg's power is equal to the number of land cards in your graveyard. At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. And then for uh, black and a green, sacrifice the land, you gain two life. Okay. So, what does this particular card remind you of? Does it remind you of another powerful black-green plane, uh, uh, commander that already exists? And it does, but and they, so the name is Gitrog. just right there on my tongue. So this reminds me of Gitrog Monster. Um, yep. But what's the problem if you play Gitrog? Hmm. Everybody immediately assumes you're playing the like the Gitrog version that has got people like scared because Gitrog is so powerful, right? It's a very powerful combo deck that can yep. kill very quickly. So you can't just sit down at a casual table and play Gitrog because people get get grumpy with you they go that's not a, a uh that's not the right power level for this tonight's game you sit down with erg spawn of turg and no one's saying really that's too powerful they're going are you sure so that's where i wanted to, that's where i started from it's like i wanted to play a gitrog-esque deck without scaring everybody to the point where you got killed because that's what that does. <laughs> and so I built this deck. And I'm going to be very honest there, folks. This deck does a lot of the self-mill stuff that we've probably done on this show before. Because <coughs> it's got the Seder Wayfinders. It's got the Shigekis. It's got the... Um, where is the other one? The Glowspore Shaman. It's got... You know, you can... Do a lot of the the usual stuff that the skull prophets. These are all cards that just want to let you mill things into your graveyard and then extract value from it. All right. So the the deck plays very much very similarly to lots of other decks. Um, and I think what sort of makes this one interesting is the fact that you have um, like Erg, who automatically does this too. You know. Things in your graveyard, you have this very big budded creature that you can then utilize to hold the four, protect your, protect your life total. Um, you know, you essentially try and drag the game out further, um, so you can get things your biggest scary things online. Um, something like uh, a Gerard Golgari Lich Lord and a Multani Yavamaya's Avatar, which to me combo together so so nicely that it's silly 
Um, because yeah, Multani cares about how many cards, uh, how many land cards are in your on the battlefield and in your graveyard, and Gerard lets you throw it at people and do heaps of damage to their face, and then you can recur Multani back again, which just seems kind of ridiculous to me. Um, then you have like landfall cards like Omnixilus the Fallen and um, Nissa of Shadows, Shadow Bows. So since you're looking to put lots of lands into play, um, Nissa and Omnixilus are both going to be very powerful, very powerful options. Uh, Rampaging Baloth, the same thing. And of course, if you're going to do a lot of this, you're going to need ways to put your lands in your graveyard. So you go get things like Harrow, Roiling Rebirth, Regrowth. Um, you know, a lot of these things are, are already very powerful um, effects, and now there's extra reason to do them. Of course, you could go and do things like just go play the Gitrog monster and play it for value, and just cash in on all those cards, all those land cards in your graveyard. Um, go Gary Grave Troll to um, to dredge and put a giant thumper into battle and on the battlefield. There's a lot of interesting things that are going on here that you can really uh, use to make a mess of it. I do think the most important cards in this deck, though, there, Lux, are things like your about World Shaper, the Mending of Dominaria, uh, and then Splendid Reclamation. I think those three spells alone are by far and away the most important cards in this deck. Because they're going to allow you to, once you've dumped a whole lot of land in your graveyard, you can then pull them all back out of your yard and use them to power up other things and other parts of your strategy. So, anyway, I like I like the structure of what I've got here. And the price tag is, is really quite pleasing. So, it's not that outrageous. Um, Lux, any thoughts about uh, this... Uh, this erg list. What do you think? And honestly, it, it seems like something like, I'd want to build. It doesn't seem that expensive. It's one hundred and ten dollars. Well, one hundred eleven forty nine, and you could make that a lot cheaper because I think the most expensive card in the deck is an Azusa Lost but Seeking. Well, you could lose Azusa, and put something else into the battle into the game that would do the same thing. Um, but Azusa is a pretty. I think it's worth it in the in this spot to play in Azusa and uh, you know get your mana out. So no, I'm a big fan of this sort of deck. I think it's the sort of deck that I would like to play. Um, do I think this deck is going to be a world beater? No, but that's okay. Um, I think this deck would be lots of fun to play though. Are there any cards that surprise you, Lux? Anything that's interesting or unexpected that you thought wouldn't be in a list like this? And honestly, they, they, I can, I can honestly see why you put a lot of these in. Yeah, um, the list again, audience is, is in the show notes, but yeah, a lot of these cards make a lot of intuitive sense. Um, I've tried to be very conscious about, um, you know, the costs of some of these cards. Um, you know, for instance, like we're not running a, a tireless tracker. We could absolutely run a tireless tracker. We're just not. Um, you know, we could run. You know, a number of more expensive options for some of these things, but we're choosing not to. 
and we're just going to have to make do. But if you were to build this deck, and then, you know, let's say in three months' time you want to upgrade it, it wouldn't be very hard to upgrade this into a deck that packs a lot more punch. So I, I think this deck is very upgradable. Um, I, was, I was, let's see. But if you guys are looking for something that you wanted to power this up a lot, um, some things that you wanted to go run, like Life of the Loam would go a long way towards powering this up quite a bit. Um, you would do things like, you could play better removal, like Assassin's Trophy, or Crucible of Worlds, or, you know, Death Rate Shaman, but you don't need to play those cards, um, in this sort of deck, because you can get a lot of those effects through other means. So, yeah, that's my thought. Oh, and Lux, I slid in there a Harness Infinity from Strixhaven. That I remember we talked about it. You were madly in love with that sort of crazy instant. You imagine that's cool. That'd be a cool card to resolve in a game of Commander. I was like, let's put it in a list. Because I think that card would be tons of fun. <laughs> For those of you who don't remember, it's one triple black, triple green. For an instant, exchange your hand and your graveyard. And then exile Harness Infinity. So after you've milled away a lot of things and had things die, you can then cast Harness Infinity and get it back. Um, so yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> Any other last thoughts on, on the deck list before we, uh, we move on there, Lux? No? Fair enough. Yeah, All right. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's show. Thanks very much, everybody, for stopping in and spending the time with us. Uh, well, we get started again on uh, on uh, moving forward. Uh, we've got lots to do, lots to, lots to get through in the, yet another busy year in uh, Match the Gathering. So thanks very much. We really appreciate you stopping in and checking in with us. Um, if you want to send us an email, by all means, you can always email us at the Epic Experiment Podcast at gmail.com. Um, please do, because I'm getting tired of having people um, like just spam me with, like, do you want to buy this particular product or that particular product? I'd love to have actual legitimate questions. Um, if you email us, I will, ha- I will get your address and I will mail you something fun. I don't know what it is yet, but I'll mail you something fun. Um, if you want us to hit us up on Twitter, our Twitter handle is at EpicEXPCast. <coughs> That's where we're at. Uh, we're also on Instagram, same username, EpicEXPCast. Our decks are all found at moxfield.com. Use the username The Epic Experiment Podcast uh, to f- find all of our decks from this week and every other week. Mm. Um, so yeah. Also, wherever you're listening to us, on whatever platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Google, um, Amazon, Spotify, whatever, like, comment, follow, subscribe. Every little bit helps gets the word out there that we are we are here and we're talking commander again uh, each and every week for you guys. So come on, check us out. We'd love to hear from anybody out there and help get the word back back out there. And we're back and we are recording once again. All right. Uh, next week we've got more Dominaria to cover. I'm sure because we're behind the eight ball. Thank you for bearing with us. Um, but yeah, so check in next week. And we are here to talk more about magic, more about Commander, and all the other things that might be happening in the world of magic. 
But until then, this is the Epic Tournament Podcast signing off. Wishing you all the best wherever you are. Thanks so much, everybody. Just get out of the